Good morning, folks. I shall preach from the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. I am honored to be your preacher this morning. I'm glad God called me to preach. I love the Word of God. I love proclaiming the great doctrines of the faith. I love it when the saints of God gather on Sunday morning, sing and to worship and to hear the proclamation of the Word of God. Does that excite you? I pray that it does. I shall preach this morning on the grand doctrine of justification. Have you found the text? Let's begin at chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. What's the matter with you folks? That'd have been a good place just to shout. <laughs> Hallelujah. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Now, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you folks that I only have two points in my sermon. Just doesn't seem right, does it? If you're going to come out on Sunday morning, get all dressed up, your Sunday best, you expect more than just two points. The student asked the professor, how many points should a good sermon have? And the professor said, at least one. I have probably preached some sermons that didn't even have one good point. 
But I've got two great points today. First, I want to give you a definition or justification. And secondly, I want to give a delineation of the doctrine as we find it in our text. Now, by way of definition, I'll tell you three things that God does when he justifies a sinner. Number one, he delivers us from guilt. How does that sound? You know what I can tell by looking at you? You were guilty. Shows up in your countenance. Affects every aspect of your being. Condemned and guilty before a holy God. But when God justifies the sinner, He delivers him from the guilt. Hallelujah. Number two, when God justifies a sinner, He declares the sinner to be innocent. You and I were not innocent. We were sinners against the Most High God. We were rebels against His authority. We would not have this man rule over us. We were sinners. But when God justifies a man, He declares him to be innocent. You got these two things now? Delivered from guilt declared to be innocent. But we're not done yet. God does a third thing when he justifies the sinner. God then takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus and by imputation, now that's just a, an accounting term. He takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus and he writes that down on our account. Do you know what righteousness I'm referring to? Not that intrinsic righteousness of Christ, which derives from his nature, but that practical righteousness which he performed while here on earth as our substitute, he did something that no other man had ever been able to do, certainly not you nor I. Jesus, while here on earth, fulfilled all of the holy law of God perfectly. And when God justifies the sinner, he delivers him from guilt, he declares him to be innocent. And God takes this perfect righteousness of Christ, his having fulfilled the law on our behalf, and God writes that down on our account. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I grew up out in the country. I cut my teeth on the old heavenly highway hymn book, orangeback, paperback edition. Do you remember it? 
I grew up hearing songs like this. There was a time on earth when in the book of heaven an old account was standing for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top with many things below. I went unto the keeper and I settled long ago. You remember? The old account was large and growing every day. For I was always sinning and never tried to pay. But when I looked ahead and saw such grief and woe, I said that I would settle, and I settled long ago. Long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago, and my record's clear today, for he washed my sins away, and the old account was settled long ago. Well, there it is. That's the first half of my sermon. What'd you think? Uh, I expected resounding amens. If for no other reason than it was brief. However, if you thought that was half of the sermon chronologically, you have greatly erred in your judgment. It's just the first half of the outline. Now here's the second half. I want to give a delineation of the doctrine as we find it in this text. Now let me tell you something about preaching. You can't preach everything the Bible says on a particular subject in one sermon. I've tried. You can't do it. So we're going to restrict our remarks now to what this text says about justification. I have two subdivisions here. One, I want you to see some presuppositions regarding our doctrine. And then I want you to see some prerequisites. Now you know what a presupposition is. That's an opinion that you already hold when you come to the table for the discussion. For example, this fall, when the Arkansas Razorbacks and the LSU Tigers get together, I've already got my mind made up how I want that to go. That's a presupposition. On September the 1st, my wife and I will be in our hunting blind in Pie Town, New Mexico, 10 miles from the first electric light. When the big bull elk comes in view, I'm not going to have to think about it. I'm not going to have to pray about it. I got my mind made up. I'm going to send him on to his reward. That's a presupposition I hold. Now, if you would understand the Bible doctrine of justification, you must come to the discussion with some basic presuppositions. Now, I'm going to mention just two of them. One... There is a God. 
And this God is holy. And this God is just. He will not acquit the guilty. And this God is sovereign. He has the right to determine what the criteria for the judgment will be. You'll never understand justification. You'll know this about God. And number two, you must come to the discussion with the presupposition that men are sinners in the sight of this holy God. The apostle has spent all three chapters, one through three, in the book of Romans, establishing the guilt of mankind. He has established the guilt of the heathen, those who know the least. He has established the guilt of the hypocrites, those who would hold others to a high standard, uh, one that they're not willing to abide themselves. He has established the guilt of the Hebrews, those who know the most, those who've had the greater privilege and advantage, those to whom the law was given. And now he comes in our passage to sum up the entire matter, to declare the guilt of humanity in general by saying, for all have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, the most profound contemplation any mortal man ever exercised his mind or heart with is this. How then will a guilty sinner ever be cleared of guilt, declared to be innocent, and possess righteousness in the sight of this holy God? Now, you and I might disagree on some lesser issues. We might disagree on how to observe the Lord's Supper. I am a closed communionist. Some of you might be close. Others might be open in their views about the Supper. We might disagree on some of these matters and still be brothers and sisters and share fellowship and do ministry. But there are some things that we can show no latitude on. There are some things we must have our minds made up about and we must be correct about it. How will a guilty sinner be justified in the sight of a holy God? Let us not err at this point. Now, I want to give you seven prerequisites. And you can count them off. I will number them. Don't be uptight. This won't take forever. It may just seem like it, but 
It won't take forever. Here's the first one. I'm talking about a prerequisite, something that is absolutely required in order for justification to take place. Number one, justice must be propitiated. Now would you look at verse 25. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now here is a multisyllabic word. Propitiation. Now look at me. Surely you are not one of those Baptists that wants the preacher to preach in monosyllables. Are you hear or see Jane run? Run, run, run. It's amazing how many Baptists are like well, the preacher uses a bunch of big words. Well, this is not my word. Do you see it there? This is King James Version. And would you agree with me that words have meaning? What then could this word propitiation mean? It means to satisfy justice by the payment of a price. Do you know what God has done in order to rescue fallen men? He has sent His own Son from heaven's glory to earth's shame. And when the dreadful hour of the cross came, God took the sins of His people and laid them upon His Son. And God, in holy justice, crushed and bruised His Son to death. And his sufferings, his bleeding, his death was looked upon by holy justice. And justice cried out, I am satisfied. I'm satisfied. And when holy justice was satisfied, that turned away the wrath of God from our soul. Never forget it. Let it always be upon your heart and before your eyes. The price of your redemption lays squarely in the sacrificial death of Christ in his sufferings upon the cross. This is what brought satisfaction to justice. Number two, sin must be expiated. Expiation means to cover over. It means to take out of you. Your sin had to be removed. It had to be covered over. And do you know what the shedding of the blood of Christ has done? It has covered your sins. It's taken them out of you. The Lord said, I'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. I'll put them behind me to remember them against you no more. Do you want liberty 
Do you want assurance? Do you want security? Find it in this grand doctrine of expiation that your sins have been forgiven, that they've been covered in the blood and they're gone. Your sins are gone. I'm about to decide you folks don't have much shout in you. <laughs> I was around here long, I'd, I'd, yeah, I might not. Are y'all getting any of this? Do you know what I would do if I got to thinking you weren't getting this? Well, I'd stop and I'd go back and repeat every single word of it. <laughs> you, look, you need to, you can't fire me. <laughs> Worst case scenario, I'm going home this afternoon anyway. Where was I? Number three. Christ must be exalted. Verse 24 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the Jesus whom God has set forth on the stage of time and space and called attention to Him. Speaking audibly from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I tell you, a religion that justifies must be one that exalts the person and the work of Jesus. Number four, God must be exonerated. Look at verse 25 now. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness, that is to declare God's righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now, were you ever in a discussion regarding uh, the salvation of Old Testament saints? How could God justify Old Testament saints when Jesus hadn't come yet, when the blood hadn't been shed yet. Surely you don't think God had two different methods, one for the Old Testament saints and another for New Testament saints. If so, you've been listening to John Hagee way too much. <laughs> no, beloved, God's never had but one plan. And that's been through the blood of Jesus. How could he justify those Old Testament saints when Jesus hadn't come yet? Well, I'll tell you why this matter of our salvation goes way back. It goes back into eternity past. It goes back to a time when the triune God in council set the whole matter up. And God the Father declared and decreed that He would save a people for His name. And He designated His Son Jesus to be the one who would come and purchase their salvation. And the Holy Spirit agreed that He would apply what the Father appointed and what the Son accomplished. 
It's called the everlasting covenant. And do you know what you can do when the triune God decrees a matter? You can take that to the bank. That's the way it's going to be. And based upon the immutability of God's own counsel, that Jesus would come and would accomplish redemption for Old Testament saints, God, on the basis of his personal forbearance, declared them to be innocent, delivered them from guilt, and gave them the perfect righteousness of Christ. Next time somebody asks you how Old Testament saints got saved, you quote me on that verbatim. That's how they got saved. God would be just in justifying sinners. All right, here's item number Some of y'all better get with me on this. <laughs> Item number five, boasting must be excluded. Where is boasting then? And I ask you a question. Did you have anything to do with the parents to whom you were born? Did you have anything to do with the place where you were born? Did you have anything to do with the period of time in which you were born? Are you aware, but for the grace of God, you might have been born in Afghanistan, brought up under the regime of the Taliban, and recruited to be a suicide bomber? But here you are in the Bible Belt, where there's an evangelical church at every crossroad. Why are you saved? You say, well, David, I was in the revival meeting that night. The gospel was preached. Well, was everybody in the room saved? What made you differ from another? Were you smarter? Were you less depraved? Oh, beloved, you were just as depraved as the next. One of the best exercises you can, can participate in is to ask those questions. Go as far back as you can go. And ere long, you'll come face to face with the mercy of a sovereign God. And you, like Jonah, while in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea, Declared salvation is of the Lord. All of it. And we have nothing to boast of. We boast in Jesus. Number six. If you all notice how quickly I'm moving through these. Number six. Faith must be exercised. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Faith is an action word. It means to trust in. It means to rest upon. It must have a proper object. You don't just have faith in faith. Look back up at verse 25 again. Whom God hath set forth 
to be a propitiation through faith in Christ's blood. I tell you, in order for faith to be saving, justifying faith, it must rest squarely on the person and work of Jesus Christ, namely his sacrificial death on Calvary. Are you trusting in him? Now do this. Lean way back and do this. Number seven. Here it is. The law must be established. Look at the last statement in our chapter. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. How is the law established in your heart? Has the law of God come to you convincing you of your sin and revealing to you the holiness of God and His exacting demands? Has the law of God come to you convincing you of your need of a Savior outside of yourself? Has the law come to you and taken you by the hand and pointed you to Jesus? If so, the law has been established. It's not the law or the gospel. It's the law and the gospel that must be preached. I return now to my Stamps-Baxter song. Sinner, seek the Lord. Repent of all your sins. For thus he has commanded if you would enter in. And then if you should live a hundred years below, still you will not regret it. You settled long ago. Long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago and my record's clear today for he washed my sins away and the old account was settled long ago why don't you settle this morning right now right there where you sit why don't you bow your heart low and call on the Lord that you might be saved would you bow your head and Pray with me. Our Father, we're grateful that salvation is of the Lord from its commencement to its consummation. We're grateful for this grand doctrine of justification by faith. Would you write these things upon our hearts and before our eyes? For Jesus' sake, amen. Would you stand now, congregation, and join us as we sing.